Hey there, fellow humans, just trying to make sense of this crazy and sometimes toxic life. I'm Ant Morehouse, and welcome to the Antitoxin Podcast. You know, the American philosopher and writer Thoreau famously wrote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And that breaks my heart. This notion that we're all trying our hardest, but we feel like we're on a treadmill, not getting any true meaning out of life. That we go about our daily lives on the inside with a sense of despair. It breaks my heart. And this was the genesis of this project, of this podcast. Because none of us are born into this desperation. It comes from having to navigate much of the stresses and expectations and judgments that we feel about this modern life. For many of us, it creeps up slowly. Our dreams are overwritten by the monotonous day-to-day. Our inner child is silenced by our inner critic. And one day we wake up and we can't even remember our dreams. Or maybe one day we wake up and we've lost the energy to pursue them. The Antitoxin podcast is designed for the professional who has ticked all the social norm boxes. Went to school, got good grades, went to college, got good grades, got the great job at the great company, rose up the ladder, has got the partner and the 2.3 kids and the cars and the mortgage, but feels a little bit empty on the inside, not quite knowing what this life really means, what it's all about. It's also for the the alpha type hard charger that is out there moving at a million miles an hour, killing it, ticking all the boxes, but still in the quiet of night is left with a sense of darkness or despair or a lack of balance. And it's also for the dreamer who remembers their dream or has maybe re-remembered their dream and wants to get off the couch and pursue it, but maybe doesn't quite know how to take those first steps or that first little leap of faith or how to get over that fear of failure or fear of rejection or maybe fear of success or imposter syndrome. If any of these things resonate with you or maybe someone close to you, then maybe the Antitoxin podcast is for you. The Antitoxin is the opposite to the Harvard Business Review podcast. It's not serious business talk. I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not a life coach. I don't have all the answers. But hopefully by laughing at some of the absurdity of life and talking with some truly authentic, talented, vulnerable people who have also just gone on and done some epic shit, or maybe together we'll learn how to achieve what I call the triple crown of having a successful professional life while having a real sense of meaning and purpose and having a hell of a lot of fun along the way. So I guess the big question now is, why the hell would you take time out of your busy day to listen to me? And if you're asking yourself that question, what's the right one? So let me start by giving you a bit of my bio so that you can work out whether me and this podcast and my guests are worthy of the investment of your time, which is your most valuable commodity. So I'm a classic ADHD kid. I had a lot of learning difficulties growing up and I moved around a lot. I found my purpose when I was about 15 years old by wanting to join the army and become a special forces officer. And when all of my friends around that sort of 14, 15 year old age group had football players or basketball players or rock stars, posters on their walls, I had this blacked out gas mask wearing, machine gun carrying, counter-terrorism guy. And it's all I wanted to do. And I joined the military at 17 I became that counter-terrorism guy when I was about 24. But after a decade in the army, I worked out that I didn't want to be a general, but I didn't really know what I wanted. And I chanced upon this book by Richard Branson about entrepreneurism. And I just fell in love with this concept that I could start with a blank sheet of paper and create a whole ecosystem, a whole world, a whole organism from scratch and live and die by my own sword. I had no friends in business, my parents weren't in business, none of my family were in business, I had no education in business, but the notion really grabbed hold of me. And that journey today has led to the creation of seven companies, I've had three successful exits. I've had a lot more failure than success, but I've also had a lot of fun along the way, despite the stresses 
and we're going to get into that entrepreneurial or project. You know, when you get out there and live your dreams or try to do anything epic, there's a lot of dark days. We're going to really delve into that in this podcast. I've spent the last four years in Boulder, Colorado, the most incredibly positive and giving entrepreneurial ecosystem that certainly I've ever experienced. I spent my time there skiing in the backcountry and running 100-mile races through the Rocky Mountains, mentoring and investing in tech startups, and learning that I can make some money while doing some true good and having a lot of fun along the way. I'm now back in Australia on the gorgeous Sunshine Coast with my wife and two daughters. And like all of us, I'm just trying to make sense of this life, keep all the balls in the air and, and try to be the best human that I can be. I'm a very average guy, but I'm determined to live the most extraordinarily, extraordinary life that I can. And that's about it. So now, before I introduce my first guest and, and in keeping with the authentic and vulnerable spirit of the antitoxin, let me tell you that as I record this first episode, my heart is racing with emotions of fear of failure and a bit of fear of success in case this actually works and certainly a heap of imposter syndrome because who the hell am I to run a podcast? I'm sitting in my home office with some pretty entry-level recording equipment and a listener subscription base of exactly zero. But that's all part of the journey and these very emotions and how to deal with them are some of the key themes that we'll explore today and in future episodes. So with all of that said, let's introduce my first guest. My first ever guest is Jade Pender. Jade and I have known each other for a few years and he was really instrumental in calling me on my bullshit when it came to this podcast and making sure that it was it was really authentic and not about 10 tips to entrepreneurial success, etc. And Jade has had a really interesting life. He's only 27, 28, but he's you know been through the GFC. He's had some entrepreneurial failures. But the real story to this interview is around mental health and some of the things that he had to deal with in high school in a very high-pressure, successful, wealthy area that also happened to be one of the highest suicide rate postcodes or zip codes in the US. And then through a college journey of, of being an elite college athlete and that journey to the NFL crumbled down on account of a lot of concussions and some fairly long-term effects with that, some entrepreneurial failure. Now he's on a rocket ship of a fast growth startup that he's doing really well at, but that comes with its challenges, a whole host of new challenges and stresses. So he talks to us about that. And then he talks to us about a, a death of a mentor due to some mental health issues. It was a suicide. And he talks through that and how he's come to terms with that and how he's galvanized himself to do something about it. It's a pretty brave interview with Jade. I hope you enjoy it. So Jade, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show today. I know you're the busiest man in the world with a startup that's kicking a lot of goals in its first year. I think you'll go from you know, zero to a million bucks in the first 12 months. And we'll, we'll certainly get into that. And I'm looking forward to talking about the entrepreneurial journey, not from a, a retrospective point of view, but, you know, deep, deep in the weeds where you're literally strapped to a rocket ship and dealing with the roller coaster, literally as we speak. And we'll get to that. But I wanted to kick off by, I guess, talking about where it all started for you and and I'm interested in you know where you grew up and the football and story, and in particular, I guess the ridiculous suicide rate where you went to school. So, so welcome, and let's get straight into it. And tell me about what that was like growing up in that high school environment. Uh, thanks for having me on, Anthony. It was definitely a unique place where I grew up. It was, it was Douglas County, Colorado, and, and by no means should anyone feel bad for us of growing up there. It was one of the most affluent areas around as a whole county, not just one neighborhood. And this county had a lot of executives and then their families that lived there uh, due to location near Denver Tech Center in South Denver in Colorado. And in that area, we had a very, very high suicide rate 
And a lot of it was linked to the pressures of growing up in that area. You know, it was expected not only to go to college, but you're going to be an executive, a doctor, a lawyer, the top at whatever sport you're playing, the top at everything. And so there was something that was being missed. Uh, A lot of the people that were perceived to be the best of the best actually had the most pressure and some of the worst mental health issues. So in in this environment, you know, you you were one of the one of the A-listers, so to speak. I mean, I've I've just come back from living in the US for four years. And one of the things that shocked me the most was not just college football, but high school football and high school footballers are literally treated like maybe not gods at that level, but certainly celebrities, local celebrities. And and you know, you were an elite athlete with a lot of interest from tier one colleges. And you were playing a, a multitude of sports at very high level, and you were you were the big jock on campus, and and a lot of you know interest from the girls, et cetera, et cetera. So, how did you navigate this environment of extremely high expectations because of the the county that you lived in? Obviously, huge amounts of mental health and youth suicide, and being the big guy on campus. Yeah, it was a unique environment for me. So quickly, we'll talk about entrepreneurism later, but I've always had that in me. And so I chose to actually open a role in a high school that had just started brand new. I love the idea of being able to mold that. And so fast forward, as you said, I did pretty well in sports, was very good at the football level. And that did come with a weird local celebrity-ish feeling, especially because my high school was brand new. They were so bad at football. And then we were able to repel them to at least a state playoff level. And then I was able to go onto the Division One level. And so your head just immediately explodes. You think you can do anything. Everyone's telling you how great you are. And, and you have this persona that everything you touch is great. Right? So you're in, tar- you're in DECA, you're in student government, you're in football, basketball, track. And, and that was my experience. And then we have this facade that you get to see on multiple people that I was wearing as well. And my family has been very heavily involved in mental health. And myself, I've struggled with it at times. And so there's a thing called Second Wind Fund. And I got involved in that. My mother was involved in that where I chose to use the platform that I had, especially being a sports star in this town, to talk about it's not just the person sitting in the back that people would think or the emo kid or just the way that isolated people. Sometimes it was the prom king or the cheerleader or or the valedictorian and that we needed to address this issue that was going on to almost epidemic proportions per capita. So you, you were talking then about people with facades, and then, and then you mentioned, I think, at one point that you felt you had a facade as well. So talk me through that. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so what I mean is that I did grow up, again, in affluent areas. So my parents did very well. They were entrepreneurs. So seeing that I had the big house, I was athlete of the year in my school, because I did excel in some other academic-ish activities such as DECA and some AP classes. I thought I had it all there. And it just seemed like I lived this perfect life. And while I did live a very charmed and blessed life, they didn't see the other half. The other half was dealing with cancer with my father, dealing with murders and suicides within the family with drug overdoses, dealing with us losing all of our money in the GFC, dealing with being dyslexic and having a really hard time in school and really struggling at it a lot more than people knew, you know, having my own emotions and things just like any other teenager. And so what I felt was being painted of me was not necessarily true by any stretch of imagination. So you were involved in a mental health and youth suicide program at school and and in the community. And I'm assuming that part of that was was actually talking about how you don't need a facade, but you're the big jock on campus and you had that very facade that, that you're probably talking about is actually a problem for kids in the community. 100%. It was the complete opposite. What I was saying is not what I was doing. So, you know, do what I say, not what I do. And one of the biggest things about what we did at Second Wind Fund was actually get these kids in private counseling. It wasn't just an awareness campaign. It was something to actually try to address the mental health issue. And the numbers we saw from that were amazing. Um, at one point, I know it was over 2,000 individuals in the county, and, and none of them had been lost to suicide that had gone in the program. And yet I had never once ever had a 
counseling session, including to this day, to be honest. And it's not something I should be proud of, but if that was one of the weird dichotomies, again, is I very much wanted to speak out on this. And I thought it was a great cause, and yet I would not do what I was saying to do. And I was actually trying to talk to individuals like myself. I was trying to say, you're not too big for this, not too proud for this. And however I was, I thought, I can't show I'm weak. Wow. Yeah. So what were the findings out of this, out of interest? So you're in this high pressure cooker environment where all the parents of the students are CEOs of big companies and you know, well-to-do people. Why was that environment such a pressure cooker for youth mental health and, and specifically like successful attempts at suicide? There's a variety of things, just like anything else, but it got narrowed down to a few individual topics. So one was that parents did not want to admit this. They did not want the embarrassment of the family. And again, I'm painting this with a broad stroke. There were some wonderful people involved in this, but there was a significant amount who felt this would be a bad mark or a black mark reputation on the family. Part of it was with that income level generally means they're gone more. They're traveling more. They're working longer. Feelings of isolation. We talked about the pressure already, that the pressure was not just only do I graduate high school, but I graduate college at an exceptional level and get an exceptional job. And that was hard for a lot of individuals. Then you have the discretionary or the income level of actually the students. So whether it's their allowances or jobs they're making, this leads to more ability to purchase drugs in the case of a suicide if they need to purchase a gun. So it's a compounding factors that make this one little vortex in this community. Wow. Wow. And what year did you graduate from school? Because you're, you're 28, right? I'm 27. So I, I graduated high school in 2010. 2010. So your parents killing it in their construction business. That's huge because I know, I know your mum left school in, uh, when she was 14, I think. And so she, you know, legitimately the definition of a self-made woman. But then 08 happened and it all came tumbling down. Tell us what that was like because when I went over to the US, I think it was 2014, I knew about the GFC and I was in Australia in 2008. We kind of felt a ripple and we saw it on the news how big it was in the US. But it wasn't until I got over there and experienced the scars that so many people have, particularly young people have of that time. And how in you know, 2018, 2019, there's a lot of people that are still recovering from that financially, yes, but also sort of mentally, emotionally. What was it like? I mean, literally you went from having kind of everything from a financial sense, at least, to having nothing. And you weren't the only one. Right. And I think that's important. Yeah. This isn't a sob story for me. The multiple, multiple people around my age have had the same exact experience in a certain way. So it, it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily like a lightning strike. It was almost like a tsunami, right? So when a tsunami actually starts, you see the ocean going out. There are signs of it. There are things that might be disrupted on the beach, but it really takes a while until it actually comes crushing down. And then once it comes crushing down, there's continual debris and aftershock. And then I also think that afterwards, there's those debris left over and things because you find out how bad it was. And so there's interesting feelings of guilt. There's the obviously financial aspect of it, right? Not having a nest egg, not feeling set up. But when I did find out how close we were and how many things the parents did for us that we didn't know, and thinking back being young, just how crazy it was, there was some of those emotional scars. But I hate to say it, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. I don't know if I ever would have thrived the way I did if that wouldn't have happened. Because you're forced to survive. Talk me through that. So how, how so? I mean, how do you think your life is better now? I think my life is better now because I was fortunate to be raised with an extremely strong work ethic. And some people toss that to the side. But having parents of a construction company, that was huge. And I knew I'd carry that through. But there was always that feeling of, if you fall off this ledge, there's going to be, you know, a blanket with pads at the bottom, right? Where when that was taken away, I worked insane hours. I mean, there was times where I'd work 24 hours straight. You know, I can remember doing security for this 5,000 person event and then flying out at four in the morning to San Antonio to go host the US Army All-American Games. It just, it built this stamina, this energy and this work ethic that propelled me in the rest of my life. And it gave me a lot of connections, honestly. 
So being able to work that hard and being able to survival mode, you learned budgeting, you learned finance, you learned to go to sales, you learned to climb up top and make connections. And I don't think I would have had it that quickly without that. I think I may have developed it, but not that quickly. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the definition of building resilience from the school of hard knocks. You, you can't learn that from Harvard. So you said something before about when your time in college, and, and it's a good segue, and I want to want to sort of go there now, but but stick to that need for work ethic, because I find this both fascinating and ridiculous. So you're killing it through school, you fill in the gaps, but you know you get a lot of scouting interest for football, basketball, and athletics. I mean, most kids, if they get one scholarship offer for a sport to a university, they're ecstatic and their families are ecstatic, and it's really big news you've got a heap of offers for, for a heap of different sports. Run me through that and then take us into the University of Texas where you, where you ended up playing football. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I do want to state is it's a lot of work. So some people talk about the athletics and there are guys out there and ladies too who just get an offer for being just gifted. They want a genetic lottery. But honestly, we work at it a ton. You know, I can remember having this mindset from middle school and working way before and after other people in high school. At the same time, I will say there's guys out there who worked harder than me who didn't have the body, who didn't have some of the other intangibles to make it. But yeah, so I go through and have a a great career in football, basketball, and track. It was really interesting because my family's not a big sports family. So I also went to the high school where I'd never had a graduating class above me. So some of the coaches had come from other schools and they had seen it, but I had kind of fresh coaches. I had no one in front of me. So we had to figure out the recruiting process ourselves. And so we did a lot of traveling. I got in a truck and I drove to 16 different colleges one summer and attended the camps to go get exposure. You know, we created our own film tapes. Then I ended up landing on the University of Texas, San Antonio. And there's a couple of reasons why. So first off, I, I spent a lot of my time growing up in San Antonio, very comfortable with the area. Secondly, it was a brand new program. So once again, this is where that bug just hits me. I wanted to build something. So it was the only program that was going to open and go straight to Division One that had never been done before. You know, we're playing the Alamo Dome, which holds 67,000 people. And the head coach had won a national championship at University of Miami. And he happened to have a lot of tight ends that he sent to the NFL. And just the Texas culture for football. Wow. And so you are in Texas where football is a religion, you're playing in front of 67,000 people as a, you know, 18, 19 year old, you are playing a position at a level where you feel that an offer from the NFL worth millions and millions of dollars is a formality. I mean, how big is your head at this stage, man? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. I didn't touch last time on the religion that is football in Texas. And it is utterly ridiculous. If people have not been down to a high school football game, you will see 30 and 40,000 people at a high school football team. You take that, that translation to all society. We're talking free food when you want it. I have had girls literally leave their number on the truck while you're at practice. You know, no clue who it is. Just you think you're God's gift to earth. And so for me, I thought that I was just going to walk waltz through and have an amazing time and life would be easy. And so if you had made it to the NFL and had a stellar career, this podcast would now get boring. But this is a roller coaster ride for you, which is why I find you so interesting, bluntly. So anyways, I go to Carter State University and I'm declining, I can tell. And I'm getting hit in the head a lot. So I go in and ask for a helmet, a special helmet. And I tell them I've had seven documented concussions. And the equipment trainer gives me the helmet, no problem. And then I go to the athletic trainer and he calls me in and says, well, you've documented here that you've only had three. Your two options are you can go to the track team because I was going to throw discus and hammer there. Or we just got to write you out of here and the NCAA is going to be upset and you're going to lose medical benefits, etc. And at that point, I went over to track and it just went south from there. I didn't have anything that I really felt to compete with. I started getting bad symptoms from my concussions. I started partying for the first time, really. I hadn't done it since then, before then. But that's when kind of the wheels fell off a little bit. And so why is seven concussions an issue? <laughs> this would be a, the doctor would answer this better. But eventually, when people get multiple concussions, one, it can be easier for them to get concussions. 
it can start affecting memory. It can start affecting sleep cycles. It can start affecting emotions. And it depends on the severity of your concussions and how many, but you can really start to have serious mental problems. Wow. And so you're talking about the symptoms and you and I know each other fairly well and I know you still sort of struggle with, with some of these. So what sort of symptoms did you have then and, and do you have now? Totally different, thankfully. There was a time when it was getting very bad at CSU, couldn't concentrate, horrible migraines, mood swings. There were times I couldn't go to sleep. We were talking 48 hours, you know, crazy times like that. And, and all kinds of the kind of pop words or, or something that jumps off the paper at you. And then the other just became memory loss and trouble putting together thoughts. And today, all, overall, I would say it's doing very well. I've worked with a lot of great people. But I still do get migraines. I'd say this year has been the worst. And we can talk about that later. I think a lot of that has to do with startup and the stress. And these are stress-induced. But I get them once every two months to three months. And, and they can take me out for a whole day. So that's, that's an issue. All right. Okay. Football is no longer an option for you as a career. Concussions kind of rule you out there. You know, the question I want to ask is, I mean, you've experienced the GFC where your parents lost everything. And yet you yourself, you know, jump on the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. Why on earth would you do that? Uh, <laughs> it's a great question, Anthony. I, I think it is something hardwired in me also learning from others. This nature versus nurture is always very fascinating, but I do want to backtrack quickly. There's a reason why I went to the first ever high school in that area, right? I wanted to start that. Um, there's a reason why I was picked the first ever football program at University of Texas, San Antonio. I really want to be a part of starting that. And then I've seen my parents and yes, they did lose everything. But just so we know today, I mean, they built it back up and they're entrepreneurs through and through. And then there's the fact that I'm very unemployable other than sales. And that's just the truth. And a lot of it may, I may have the skill, but you've known me well enough. Like I will be fired. I have disdain for authority. I have trouble if I don't have some autonomy. And I just have this deep desire. It's not sane, but I have visions that I can do something better and bigger. I want the freedom to do it myself. And I really believe that I can accomplish something. And I think that's the thing that's missing is what I see a lot today is they call it entrepreneurship porn. I'll tell you right now, I'm not buying Ferraris and on jets. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking at my food budget and trying to catch up on a couple hours of sleep. It's not sexy. I'm not in it for the sexy game. I'm in it for the common things people say, but it's true. Creating jobs, creating real tangible value, and succeeding myself. If I want to be honest, a lot of it's I want to see if I can do it. I think that's part of it. So you were one of the people that was helping me to build out this project, which has become this podcast. And you know, I'll never forget your feedback, which was, look, Ant, I get it. It's good. But please don't make this about entrepreneur porn. Don't make this about 10 steps to generating a gazillion dollars and driving Ferraris in the first six months. And you know, that, that sort of stuck with me and, and really helped shape the direction of where this is going. So your disdain for that social media fed, everyone should be a, a Zuckerberg or a, or a Musk uh, very much resonated. Yeah. And there's a reason why it's such a big deal for me. And I'm glad that you and I align on this because it's be especially in my demographic, it's become much bigger on social media. And I see these things where it's a guy sitting on a yacht and it says, grow your six-figure business with Shopify. I'm like, dude, six-figure business. Are you living on food stamps? Um, I hate to be that way, but it's not that impressive once you're there. You're like, wow, well, after all my overhead is gone, right. you know, you know, I can go make minimum wage. Awesome. It's the truth. And entrepreneurship is very, very, very hard. And I, if you don't have the risk profile and you don't have just the crazy tenacity, or if you just need more than a blank sheet of paper, it might not be for you. And that's cool. That's awesome. That does not mean you can't be creative. That doesn't mean you can't affect change. And so we were... I said to you, hey, Jade, I, I want to get you on the program one day. But in three or four years, you know, quote unquote, once you've made it, because, because that's the formula, you know, the how I built this retrospective where you get, the, you get the entrepreneur on after they've had a successful exit or, you know, they literally are, you know, in the private jet or, 
or <laughs> driving the Ferrari. And then we decided to flip the script a little bit and you had some terrible news within your network that we'll get into in a moment. But that sort of, that galvanized me to go, no, 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 we got we to gotta change this up a little bit and talk to the entrepreneurs when they're in the thick of it, you know, when they're riding that emotional roller coasters, because I think that's the more relevant stuff. So what's it like? I mean, you, you started something from zero. It'll do a million bucks in its first year. That's the definition of strapping yourself to a rocket and blasting off. But it's definitely not all rosy, as you said. So what's a day in the life of a fast growth entrepreneur like at the moment? It varies hour by hour. And that's just the truth. It's a struggle. It's a struggle because again, we look at the, okay, great. You did a million dollars. Well, how many mistakes had to happen to get there? So how is your profitability and how's your cash flow? And you, honestly, we could pro- I could probably slow down and do 500 to 750 and make more money as far as an individual. And it's true. There's so much going on on a day-to-day basis. And it's a roller coaster between great news and bad news. And trying to make it to where I'm not working in the business so much and help the right people run the business is quite the challenge that I found right now trying to let go of every little detail. That's a struggle. And, and trusting those people because the only way we will scale. Yeah. So I remember when, when I was sort of in your position, the biggest issue I had, and I wouldn't necessarily suggest that I've made mission accomplished on this because it's still an issue. And it probably is whenever you're doing something creative. But how do you deal with the issue of when the business is up or down that you don't draw a direct link to your own self-worth? You know, So if you win a big deal, your ego goes through the roof you make a mistake and your ego goes to rock bottom or your, your sense of validation and self-worth goes to rock bottom. And so it's just this constant, you know, dramatic ebb and flow of personal self-worth. How are you managing that? It's a gigantic struggle with being completely honest, especially, and I'll find out, but especially I think when, when you're still small and agile, you're part of everything, right? So I'm still selling the jobs. I'm still on the sites. And so when something goes good, yeah, your head gets big and you think maybe it's because of you. But when something goes bad, it's even worse, right? And you do attach these negative feelings to it. A lot of times, especially in a service business, when you may be personally called out in it, right? It's part of you. And so I think there, there's two things that I've done recently. One is to realize how that affects your team and how that affects the ones around yourself. And that really hit home with me especially with personal relationships. Because when it was bad, it was bad. And when it was good, I was probably insufferable to be around. What do you mean by that? So your self-worth or ego or whatever is maxing out at 11 or dropping to zero. How is that affecting your people? Yeah. So it's affecting the people because they look for you at consistency, right? And to put fires out and to be the champion. That's why you're the business owner. You don't have to work in the business, but you have to solve those issues. Well, guess what? I don't actually build all of our projects. So if my ego is going through the moon because we closed this deal, well, I'm not the one who actually did it. Should I receive some credit? Sure. But if my people see me floating around with this big head, and a lot of it was because of their hard work, that's a turnoff. Adversely, when something's going bad and they're freaked out, right? a job's gone bad, a client's gone bad, something like that, if you're showing major distress and being erratic, you know, they're worried, are we going to be able to pull out of this? Is this going to be okay? Is this someone that I should look at for direction and leadership? Or do I got to figure out this boat on my own? Right. Yeah. So how are you not making this a 24 seven thing where even when you're not working, when you're eating dinner, you're thinking about it. When you're watching television, you're thinking about it. When you're sleeping, you're thinking about it. Are you able to disconnect at all or, or, do you have the self-awareness to know when you need to disconnect? Again, the answer is no. It is with me all the time. There are things that I am trying to do. As I talk about is once you realize how it's affecting other people, it can be I've learned to shut off my ringer. This sounds stupid, but I shut off my ringer at night. I've learned to put down the computer at certain times. Am I still thinking about it? Yes. I could lie and say, no, I live this peaceful Zen life. But it's not true. You know, I almost sometimes hate taking a shower because I think about it in the quiet. I don't have music, right? And so it can absorb your life. I think where I've learned to deal with it is some meditation, which is cliche. You know, for me, I go to the steam room. That's my thing. Get some meditation out. 
allow it to kind of be there. That sound, and it may sound weird, but if I can't shut it off, I'm like, all right, it's there, but you don't have to pay attention to it. And that, that's not the best way. And I think this is one of the things this year I have to work on. So I think you're hitting some very good weaknesses of mine right now, to be honest. And that's one of going to be the challenges in this growth mode this season. You said something interesting then, which actually is very Zen Buddhist around recognizing that the feeling is there, but not necessarily attaching yourself to it or, or simply by recognizing it, it actually brings it into perspective and you know, doesn't send your, your emotions through the roof. So yeah, I actually think that's pretty cool. It'll be a challenge for sure. You know, it's easier to say this stuff. And don't be wrong, if I've said it, I really do it. And that's why I admit to the times when it does get to me. But I've talked to you about this, Anthony, and this is one of the things that you do get from the podcast with people who've made it is they're able to go back and they've gained that self-awareness and figured it out. I think when you're in the middle of it, it can be tough. And it's something that can cause a lot of issues with anxiety and depression with business owners or entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's touch on that briefly then. So you said earlier around you've had some sort of mental health stuff over the, over the journey and then obviously the concussion symptoms which are worse this year and you're, you're linking that to the stress of having a high growth startup. So how are you managing all of that? And don't go into any detail that you don't feel comfortable with. Well, I didn't manage it well, I would say for probably this four months ago, <laughs> uh, for the last four months. So for a while... I let it absorb me. I let myself not go to the gym. I let myself turn devices and just tried to manage everything in my head. And then I realized I wasn't being efficient. And I wish I had a better answer for you. But I realized that it was really hurting myself and the business. And I've been able to get out more to, you know, to make sure I have some rules around time off and doing certain things. And the mental health part... I've been pretty good and I'm very fortunate that I've not had some of the, the issues and I want to call them issues, but things that people have suffered for. I've been clear headed mentally as far as mental health, but it's been an anxiety. I think that's the biggest thing. So that can bring you down. I don't ever luckily have any what we call bad thoughts or suicidal stuff. That never enters my mind, but it can just be exhausting. And I think that's the hard part is just you can get beat up mentally. You used to be exhausted. Yeah. One of your biggest strengths, I think, and I've seen this time and time again, where you have an amazing ability to endear yourself upon mentors, basically. Super, super successful people who take you under their wing, having mentors in your professional network that are able to truly, truly support. And one of the things that's amazed me always with your mentors is that you use them not just for ones and zeros, you know, professional specific stuff. It, it goes into the realm of, of the personal as well, or, or the emotional part of the entrepreneurial or business roller coaster. A lot of it has to do with my learning style, to be honest, and my personality. So I'm poor at reading and writing. And I'm very good vocally and verbally. And I love interacting with people. Like I'm genuinely, you know, when some people say, you know, how are you? If I say I really care, does that make sense? And the, my point to all this is I liked connecting and learning. So you touched on it there. It wasn't always just about X's and O's. It was about learning, right? Or ones and zeros. So I don't have an MBA. I, I did not ever finish my college degree. So there are certain areas that, yes, I can get online, but I'm missing. I really wanted to find out more about the personal side and the emotional journey because you hear a lot of entrepreneurs fail because of funding a lot or capital. And then you hear a lot of it burnout, bad decisions, vices, affairs, etc. A lot of it's emotional and a lot of it's stamina and understanding the game. So I thought that was vitally important because what roadblocks am I going to have going forward and how do I get around them? And my advice to someone who wants to build a mentor network, don't do it to get something today, right? So as you said, a lot of my mentors are in various industries. Now, I do have some in my specific industry, but some of my best mentors in this industry actually came from when I was working in another industry. And now I'm here and they're great resources for me. But 
connect with people that you have some sort of relationship with, whether that's just a strict business. If you're a numbers guy and he's a numbers guy, or you may just personally get along, don't be afraid to reach out. It's, I hate to say, but it's almost like dating. You have to be willing to make a move. And that's not a cheesy salesman way. Most often, you will tell right away if this is someone who is interested in spending their time with you. And from there, like I said earlier, it's about adding value to them as well, being respectful of their time, and really trying to ask intelligent questions. I feel like I should be chiming in here with something intelligent to say, but I think uh, I have nothing more to add. You, you nailed that. Nice work. So I want to stick with the mentor theme, but we're, we're going to take a bit of a turn here, unfortunately. So a little while ago, you sent me a text message. It was about 4.30 in the morning and you wanted to chat because you just had you know, some really bad news about actually one of your mentors. I'm not sure whether I should talk about it or, or you should. Probably safer that you should. So talk us through what happened. Yeah, this was a tough one because you know, I said earlier, I was walking through about 18 is when I realized it. And this mentor came to my life when I was 19. So I was very young. He was a former Marine Fast Team SF individual. And then he founded a security company and worked really hard at it. And I was actually on one of the early days working under him. He then sold that company, bought a real estate company, a mortgage company, an event care company, started those, I should say, not bought those, and had become a huge success in a lot of eyes, not just from a business perspective, but a personal perspective. You know, he's one of the one guys that I saw that showed me that you could be a business person and still be conscious and empathetic and, and caring and had just become a little bit of a local celebrity, honestly. You know, it was a very well known part of that's because a lot of his industry was nightlife, but just checked all the boxes, had the gorgeous family, gorgeous house, sold businesses, had made it from bottom to top. And then what happened? Yeah. And so then I, I, I shot you a text because I found out that he had taken his own life. And that was a, an extremely sobering moment for me. You know, I, I don't want to play it up. It's something that I don't know how to say it other than it was something that shook me to my core because not only was one of my really good friends gone on a personal side, my mentor was gone and he was like the rock that crumbled, you know? And I think that's what hit me incredibly hard is he, he bared the weight of thousands of people, honestly. And, and if he could tumble, you know, anyone could tumble. And so, yeah, he took his own life and left a great scar in the community, unfortunately. Yeah, it really, um, I, I didn't know him, but when you told me about him and told me about the story, uh, you know, it really hit me for, for two reasons. One, because he'd had a successful military career and was, was giving a lot back to veterans. And the whole veteran PTSD thing is, is real. You know, so he was actively contributing to that. He was the definition of modern day success. You know, there's, there's not a box that, that he hadn't ticked. You know, he had the, the, the successful military career is one thing. Having a successful transition from that into another field is another thing. Very difficult. And a lot of people can't do it for a whole heap of reasons. And then to build a, a whole variety of, you know, successful businesses and then the, you know, the wife and the kids and, and the houses and the lifestyle and, and it's, it's huge. And it really was the, the full stop to, you know, you, 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 you and I had a conversation about it and you said, you said to me, you know, you've got to do something about this. I don't know what. And I started writing a, a blog post about specifically entrepreneurism and, and mental health and suicide because entrepreneurs and senior people in, in all walks of life have a much higher rate of, of mental health and, and, and specifically um, suicides. And I'm going to attach a few um, resources about that to the show notes for anyone who's interested. But it just really struck me that, wow, if, if that can happen to that guy, then you know, we, have a, we have such a problem in, in modern society about, about ex, just the, the weight of expectations, both our internal self and societal pressure and what really kind of kicked me in the balls quite frankly was was when you said you know he collapsed under the weight of a thousand people because the way I kind of took that and correct me if I'm wrong please but it sounded like what you were saying was that 
he was always there for everybody else, you know, in, in all walks of personal business, ex-military kind of life, but never, never felt like he could reach out to, to anyone for, for help when, when he needed it because he, he had to be the rock. Is that fair? I, that's extremely fair. I think specifically with this individual, absolutely. And, and, and that's one of, I mean, given my past with suicide prevention, right? And it's been, a, it's been a topic that I've cared deeply about from day one. So it's not something new for me. But what you just said was, is very poignant and that's what I'm trying to fix. So you take this individual who literally, as I said, has given the shirt off his back. All the different sayings and things that we coin, this guy actually did. And most people don't actually do these things. They just say them. He, he was, would always take on other people and yet couldn't talk to anyone else and didn't feel like he had an outlet. You know, if he would give his last dollar, whatever word you want to throw in there. And it scared me because at first I got angry, right? I got very angry. I got very angry because he does have so much influence. And there's so many people that are his mentees and so many people that look up to him that I, I was scared for what that was going to do to the community. And another thing that I was thinking about, I was like, hold on wait, most of his friends are entrepreneurs or business owners. And so, and he's a great communicator, was a great communicator. So how is this not coming up? You know, even if it's not me, you know, we hadn't caught up in a while, but how about his best friend X who I know, right? I know they talk and they're entrepreneurs. And I've now talked to you and some other of my mentors, my friends, my entrepreneurs, and it comes up a ton but it only comes up if we're having this kind of sobering conversation. And to me, that's extremely troubling when I'm talking to these individuals that, again, from the outside perspective, check all of the boxes. And they've told me about their struggles. And yet, we don't feel that we can talk about it or ask for help. And it's a troubling situation for me because just bringing awareness to it, I don't believe really does anything. There's been a ton of awareness campaigns. So, And let me backtrack that a little bit. There's nothing wrong with bringing awareness as far as if I wanted to do something, I don't feel that my impact would be on awareness. It's how do we actually just talk to our network of people, specifically the business owners and mentors, because it's something that's causing a huge issue in the, in the industry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, so you're... You're doing it right now, firstly, you know, whether there's one person out there listening, listening or, or a lot more than that. But even more importantly than that, I mean, it, it sounds like you're doing it in your own network of, of friends and colleagues and employees, mentors, mentors or whatever, where by you opening up the doors with brave vulnerability yourself, that's giving a license for other people to put down their shield and express some vulnerability back which, I mean, there's probably nothing more powerful to address this problem, noting that I'm not an expert. You know, it's very much a, a lay person's point of view. How are you finding that? How are you doing that? And is that what you're determined to do, to keep doing? Is that your plan on how to contribute to this massive issue? Yeah, I, I don't know yet, Anthony. And I think one of the problems is, is that I am in the middle of my roller coaster. Right. And, and this may sound bad to some people, but I, I don't have the time or moreover, I don't have the mental health energy to give. And that may sound horrible, but I found out when I was working this earlier, it is a draining thing to be very much involved with suicide prevention. It actually does. You have to be really strong yourself. You have to be in a good, good place or it's going to be hard. And so right now, I do not have that energy to go and do that. I don't have the time or the energy to do something on an even regional scale. So yes, I, right now it's me reaching out to my network and not just reaching out. You know, it's funny. It's normal conversation. I say, but like, hey, are you actually doing okay? And, and then sometimes it takes more than that, right? But talking about my friend and my mentor, we have those talks. And so that's all I can do for myself, my mentors, my friends. I don't have anything you know, planned as a big organization, a walk of this or that, I would love to include others that are in the entrepreneur network and maybe someone else can take the torch from there. It's just a personal huge issue for me. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it actually strikes me as 
even more authentic. You're not on a soapbox creating an organization. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're just talking about reaching out to, you know, one person over a beer because you have shared experiences or, you know, one person over a coffee or, or whatever. And that's hugely powerful and also really, um, really obtainable for all of us. Yes, exactly. I think if you were coming to this talking about you're launching a new organization and you get to do all this epic stuff, would lead the rest of us to think, oh, well, that's good on Jade, but that's not attainable. But because you're just talking about having real kind of vulnerable conversations with people who can't drop their shield and be, be vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, did, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's really powerful and it kind of motivates me to try to do a little bit more as well. And yeah, we, we spoke about this beforehand about whether to talk about this you know, on, on the podcast and um, maybe it can impact one or two people. But respect to you and your, and your bravery on um, talking about this and, and all of this, man. It's, it's been truly powerful and, and, and I respect you a lot for it. And so um, is there anything else you want to you want to talk about or any other points you want to make before we wrap up here? No, man, I think that we hit everything and, and sincerely thank you for having me on. I'm really happy to see you take this journey and knowing you for as long as I have, I think you'll have a, a ton of impact on people. And, and I would like to end on kind of the quirky way we ended on mental health. Honestly, I tell my guys, my employees all the time, you just overthink things sometimes, honestly. And they're like, well, if we do this and this and like split the middle, let's go. And I think that's maybe the main message about some of the mental health is, yeah, I I don't know if I'm here to create this giant organization. But like you said, I can do something attainable. You know, I can't have the same conversation with my employee that I can with my industry friend who's an entrepreneur and owner, right? And vice versa. I don't think, and I hate to say this because I really try to have good culture. I'm sure there's some conversations my employees don't want to have with me for, for, a blunt, for a whole bunch of different reasons. But you can reach out to your friend. Let's say you're an accountant and you have another accountant at the firm across the road. You guys can have that talk that maybe other people can't. I don't know. I don't know what good it's going to do, but I know that it is an issue. And it's something that's big to me. And I appreciate just your vulnerability and allowing me to come on. And hopefully this can uh, help a person or two. You're a brave dude, Jade. I respect you, man. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Well, a massive kudos to Jade for sharing so openly and honestly the challenges that he's gone through previously and currently. Um, Even though he's experiencing success in his entrepreneurial life, obviously that comes with a whole host of new challenges and then dealing with the mental health issues and in particular the the death of a mentor and going through that. Uh, He's a brave dude. I hope you got something out of that. I'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, have a great day.